After my mom died, we gathered at the house to go through stuff, find a few things we wanted to keep, and find a lot of stuff we wanted to get rid of and get the house ready to sell. We each chose a few things to keep, not, not very much, but we had a few things here and there. And, and I, I chose this. It's my mom's diary. It's a five-year diary. She kept this from 1945 to 1950, roughly when she was, from when she was in eighth grade to when she graduated high school and got married. It's a very, very formative years. It's interesting to read through because as I make my way through the pages, as I make my way through the years of my mom's diary, I, I see elements of this woman that I recognize even as a, a young girl and other elements that were nothing at all like the woman I knew as mom. For one thing, the teenage girl who wrote this was boy crazy. I mean, absolutely boy crazy, but she's also incredibly disciplined. And that's the woman I remember, the woman who was very, very disciplined. She starts working at a very young age uptown at the soda fountain at the pharmacy is where she was working. She puts money away constantly. She's saving so much money, but, but at the same time, there are boys who come into the soda fountain come into the pharmacy and apparently just to see her. And some of them end up staying at the pharmacy until closing time, upon which they drive her home. All two blocks down to Raymond Tolan's house. Sometimes they walk her home, but more often than not, they drive her home until one day a, a boy from Westfield whose hair kind of had this curl up in the top shows up. And his name fills the rest of the pages of the diary. And so I read this. And I, I ask the question of myself, at what point did the girl who wrote this become the woman that I know as mom? At what point does that happen where she suddenly becomes this fully formed person that I knew as my mother? And, and I can't point to a page. I can't point to a day or a year when her character perfectly matured, when she suddenly developed into the woman I knew. And we'd have, we'd have to say that doesn't happen in here. We'd have to let her mature. Uh, we would have to realize that we're not going to expect perfect character from the very beginning, from someone in eighth grade and then going through all the changes through high school. We'd have to let her make those changes and grow. And I, and I hope we would do that for each other too. I hope we would recognize none of us are perfect. None of us have that perfect character and we're all growing we're all incomplete and in some ways we have to allow the authors of the bible to do that too we have to recognize that the those who wrote the pages of of the bible are they themselves are not perfect their character is not perfectly formed, and so we would have to give them the same kind of grace that we give each other, the same kind of grace that we'd give Monkey as she waits for someone named Orville to take her home, <laughs> and then someone else to take her home, and someone else to take her home. We would have to give that kind of grace to the authors of the Bible as well. And nowhere in the Bible is that kind of grace more needed then when we get to the pages of the Psalms. We're in Psalm 6 today. 
Again, Psalm 6 is on page 449 in those blue Bibles in front of you. You can follow along there. If you've got the Bible app, I've got the notes on the Bible app if you want to follow along there. My scripture, my scripture references I'll be looking at. Psalm 6 is it's tough. It's difficult. I lived with this psalm for at least a week, maybe a little longer, and it's painful, it's sad, it gets angry at times. It also reads as a contradiction. There is this very abrupt change of tone between verses one and seven, one to seven, and then suddenly verses eight through ten take on a completely different tone, a whole different sound. And while we could read that as confusion, we could read that as contradiction, rather I think we would recognize that as David pours his heart out in what's essentially his prayer journal, what's essentially David's diary when we come to the Psalms, this is not a man who's got all of life figured out. This is not a man who's got all of the answers. This is not a man who has matured completely in his character. Instead, he's, he's hurting in this, in this psalm. He's in tremendous pain, and you've been there. You've known this kind of pain just like him. And just like David, we can point our hearts to God. We can point our hearts to God and seek to be heard by Him. Psalm 6, beginning, well, there at the very beginning. Psalm 6 is to the choir master. With stringed instruments, according to the Sheminith. It's a psalm of David. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in Your anger, nor discipline me in Your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Hear me, O Lord, for my bones are, are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But You, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of Your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of You. In Sheol, who will give You praise? I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. I, I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. And we can't read the Psalms, even beautiful Psalms like Psalm 23. We can't read the Psalms and expect perfect, clear, theology. Expect this perfectly clear picture of who God is because when we read the Psalms, we need to understand these are the cries of someone's heart. These are the deep feelings of someone often in a lot of pain and in trouble. And as we work through our pain, don't be surprised when you hear the same cries coming from your heart. Don't be surprised when you have those moments where you turn to God and you say, how long is this going to take? How long is this going to hurt? The question comes up in verse 3 and then it just hangs there. It never gets answered. Verse 3, My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? It's, how, it's almost as if David is in such pain that he can't finish his thought. It just hangs there. How long? We'll hear that thought again, though. 
Just a few Psalms later, Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Verse 35, or Psalm 35, verse 17. How long before you rescue me? Psalm 89, verse 46. How long will you hide yourself from me? In Psalm 90, verse 10, or verse 13. How long will I have to wait for your compassion? How long is this going to hurt? How long? Some, some of you have asked that question, haven't you? How long? How long will these treatments take? How long until I'm healed? How long will this depression last? This long, dark night of my soul? How long will I be in grief? And there's always someone there to tell you, well, it's time to get over it. It's time to move on. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. Our pain changes us. Our pain shapes us. And David's pain is shaping him here in Psalm 6. One of, the, one of the most striking problems about this psalm is we have no context for it. I can't tell you when David wrote this psalm. I can't tell you what he was going through with this pain. What was he going through? Why, why was it written? Is this about David and Bathsheba and their sin and their son's death? It doesn't tell us. Is this about when David was being pursued by Saul? Saul was out to kill him, pin him to the wall. No, he doesn't tell us. What about Absalom? Maybe this is when David had been ousted by his own son, Absalom. He'd been rejected by his people. Is it just a really bad day? Is that all this psalm is? Just one really bad day? You know, I, I read, this, I read this, my mom's diary. And every now and then I get to a page where she kind of gets a little angry. Usually angry at a boy. She just gets a little worked up about something. And, uh, and, and, and it's almost as if I can hear her over my shoulder as I get to a certain page and I can hear my mom over my shoulder say, oh, you don't need to read that. You don't need to look at that page. And I wonder if David would do that to us with Psalm 6. And I'm, I'm convinced that the authors of the Bible, David especially, as we th talk about this issue, I'm convinced they had no idea we would be reading these thousands of years later. I am, I am convinced that they had no idea that, that we would be considering this to be the Word of God. In fact, when David wrote this, it was his words to God, wasn't it? And as David writes the Psalms, they are his words to God. He had no idea that you and I would look at this and say, this is the Word of God. Blessed, blessed be the hearing of the Word of God. And I wonder if David would see us reading Psalm 6 and go, ah, don't read that one. I don't know what I was thinking. I was all worked up. Things got better. You know, you and I need Psalm 6. We need to know what the bad days look like. We need to know that we're not the only one that have gone through that dark night. And we need to know what it looks like when it gets better. We need a psalm like this for when we're asking that question. How long? How long? We, we ask that question because we don't know how long the pain lasts. How long? We ask it because uh, we, we, need to, we can't see when it's going to end, when, when our pain is going to be over. And in this darkness, in the darkness of that moment, you can imagine the worst. You can imagine that it's never going to get better. I'm never going to get through this. This grief, this pain will always be here. And this is just how life is from now on. My pain is who I am. How long? We conclude, well, forever. Because when left on our own, when left in our pain, 
it is hard to see the possibility of God's grace. And so what David does for us in this psalm is he shows us how to pour our pain out before God. How to pour our pain out before God and know that God hears us. I'm thankful we have Psalm 6. I'm thankful for all that David pours out before God here because David confesses some things that you and I might be... We might not want others to, to know that we felt this. He confesses some things that we might not want to admit to ourselves and definitely not to other people. Because if I said it out loud, then that makes it real. If I say it out loud, I'm afraid I'm going to sound unspiritual. If I say it out loud, you're going to think I'm probably not even a Christian and something's wrong with me. But I don't always feel the love of God. I don't always feel His presence. I don't always feel His blessing. And if I say that out loud, you're going to think something's wrong with Him. It just hurts. And we can't tell when it comes to an end. And we hear David in the same in the same problem, with the same feelings. Verse 4, Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of Your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of You. In Sheol, in the grave, who will give You praise? I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all of my foes. You hear that in verse Four, save me. Why though? Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. There it is again. It was there in verse, or is there in Psalm five as well? The uh, the steadfast love of God that we read about there, the the ever present steadfast love of God, that overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. That love that promises to never leave us, never forsake us. But David says, I don't feel it right now. All I feel is pain. All I feel is my grief. And so David pours out to God what you and I might hide from our friends. And, we, and, and he says for us, you know, God, if your love is really there, then you need to save me because of that love. But we might hide that from ourselves. We might tell ourselves, I can't admit that it hurts this bad. You hear the despair. One more time, verses 4 and 5. Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of Your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of You. In Sheol, in the grave, who will give You praise? I love what Eugene Peterson does with that verse in his paraphrase, the message. He says, I'm no good to you dead, am I? I'm no good to you dead. David doesn't want to die but he doesn't see a way out of his pain. And that's something for you and I to keep in mind for those around us who, who are suicidal. It's something for us to keep in mind for those that are going through those very difficult times and are considering suicide. They don't want to die. They just don't see a possibility for the pain ending. They don't see a possibility of things getting better. They don't see a possibility of the depression getting better. And David feels that here. And so he says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Prove your love to me. One of the elements that strikes me in this psalm is something that's missing from it. Where are David's friends? Where are his friends? Where are the people who love him? 
Where are the people who support him through his pain? I mean, he tells us about his enemies, the people who don't care, the people who want to see him come to harm. But he seems very alone in Psalm 6. Where are those who would have cried with him through those long, dark nights? Where are those who would have listened as he pours his heart out? Now, here's the problem. I don't want to force something on this psalm that's not there. I don't want to make a big deal out of something that's not there, but I also don't want to miss this opportunity to tell you, you are not alone. You are not alone. No one should cry alone. I've told you before, I've made that a commitment that I live by. If I see someone crying alone, I go find out what's wrong with them. I go find out what's happening. No one should cry alone. No one should hurt alone. And there are those who will bear your burdens with you. There are those who will be there to see you through those long, dark nights. And, and through their love, you will find the steadfast love of God. Through their love, they will help you see that the light of God's love shines even in the darkness of your pain. The light of God's love shines even in the darkness of your pain. How long? David asks that question. How long, and you and I ask, how long is this going to hurt? How long until I start feeling normal again? How long until I'm healed? And here's one of the problems with Psalm 6. We don't know. We don't know how long it takes. Without explanation, without resolution, it just takes a turn. And in verse 8, David suddenly sees his situation very differently. Instead of pouring his heart out to God, he turns and speaks to those who, who did not care for him. And he says, depart from me. All you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. You hear that confidence in those verses? You hear David's confidence? The Lord has heard my prayer. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. He has heard my plea. What's changed for David though? Is the pain gone? Is the struggle over? Is he healed? There's some contradictory verb tenses here, Nancy. Contradictory verb tenses. Verse 3, he asks, how long? As if it's never going to come to an end. Verse 9, he says, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my prayer. The Lord accepts my prayer. And then verse 10, the enemy, my enemy, shall be ashamed. Has it happened yet? Is it over? Is everything better? No, I don't think so. But what's changed is his heart. What's changed is his perspective on his pain. What's changed is his awareness of God's love even in the darkness. This psalm was too much for me this week. As I worked through this, this psalm was way too much. I asked a few friends to help me out. Sent some text messages out to a few of our friends. And, and I said, hey, can you read over this and tell me what you think? Have you ever felt this, what David's feeling here? I sent Cindy a text, Cindy Mars, and Cindy latched on to verses 4 and 5. And she said, yeah, I felt that. Cindy wrote back and said, I see God's hand in my cancer just like I saw God's hand in Danny's accident. And I'm praying for God to continue to surprise us. That's what we're praying also, aren't we? For God to surprise us. I asked Eric Kuhn about this passage and Eric's, Eric listened to it and read through it. And he said, boy, he said, I'm, I'm reading this book right now. 
I'm reading a book by Billy Graham called Facing Death and the Afterlife. And there is this quote in the book from Billy Graham's mother when she was advanced in years and going through some health problems, some, some physical challenges. Billy Graham's mother said, do not be afraid to enter the cloud at darkness. Do not be afraid to enter the cloud which is settling down on your life, for God is in it. And the other side is radiant with His glory. If we are to wear a crown, we must first bear a cross. We all have a Gethsemane. Jesus did. Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus read Psalm 6? Do you know Jesus knew Psalm 6? Do you know Jesus prayed and quoted Psalm 6? Just a few days before the cross, while he was preparing, and during that last week, Jesus felt David's cry just, just like you have. Verse 3, My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Just days before the cross, knowing the pain that was ahead. In John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, He prays, Now my soul is troubled. He's quoting Psalm 6. I don't know that He knows He's quoting Psalm 6. My guess is Jesus had so internalized the Psalms that they became His prayers. That he, they, they just came out of Him. Now my soul is troubled. You hear it. My soul, David wrote, my soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? David, Jesus prays, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. How long? But for this purpose I have come into this hour. Father, glorify Your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it again. Do not be afraid to enter the cloud which is settling down over your life. For God is in it. Jesus quotes David. Jesus expresses that pain that we felt. But don't miss this part. John 12, Jesus is surrounded by His friends. He's just been anointed by a sinful woman. He's had a meal with his friends. He's been going into Jerusalem. He's surrounded by his friends. He is very aware of the presence of the Father. He has all of the connections that seem absent in Psalm 6. He has that connection that's available to you as well. And while Jesus will suffer, the light of God's love is shining in that darkness. There are going to be moments of darkness. There are going to be moments of darkness and they may stretch into days. They may stretch into long seasons. There are going to be times in your life when you cry out to God, how long? How long is this going to take? And when you do, there won't be an answer. But there will be love. His abundant, steadfast love. And even in those times, God's love and His grace can become more real to you than that pain that is very present. There's that notation at the beginning of Psalm 6 to the choir master with stringed instruments, probably guitars, I'm going to think. To the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith. <laughs> Sheminith. It's another one of those Hebrew musical terms that we have no idea what it means because we don't know how to read Hebrew music. 
We don't know what that musical term means. It's just like the word sila or sela. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago. We don't know what sela means, but it pops up in the Psalms over and over again. Linguists tell us that their best guess with sela, based on its relationship and how it sounds like a few other words, their best guess with sela, the word sela, when we see it in the Psalms, is it means either play this part slowly. Or it may mean insert some silence here. Just be quiet and think about what you've just read, what you've just sung. I think that's important with music, don't you? And then we come to this word shimineth. It makes me wonder about the Brimner family. If they named their daughter Selah, what if they'd had a son? Would they have chosen shimineth? I don't know, maybe. But we come to that word shimineth, and again, we don't know exactly what it means, but I, this is what's suspected because this is, the notation is it's to be played with stringed instruments. What's suspected is it means you have to adjust the tuning of your instrument here. Just like a guitarist knows every now and then you don't play the standard tuning, you change to maybe a drop D tuning. Because when you change the tuning, it gives the song a different tone. It, it brings a different emotion. It, it brings out a different, just a different heart in that song. And so once in a while, you don't play with the standard tuning. You change the tuning. And that's the thought is that Shemineth is actually a different kind of tuning. Because the tuning that you're going to need for this song, the standard tuning you use is not going to be what you need for this song. I don't know what you're all going through. Some of you share with me your hearts. Some of you share your pain. Some of you share those moments when you're asking how long. But it seems to me that what got you to that moment may not get you out of that moment. And what you might need to do is find a different tuning for your heart. Find the kind of tuning where you can tune in to God's presence even in the middle of all of that pain. Find a, a tuning where you can tune into His amazing grace that is present with you now, whether you feel it or not. And tune in to your friends. Tune in to a community of faith. Tune in to the church that will bear that burden with you. Tune in to the understanding that despite the troubles you're feeling today, He still carries you. We come to the table. We come to the table to tune our hearts to the heart of Jesus. To the heart of the One that went to the cross for us. To the heart of the One that despite the pain, chose the cross for us knowing the joy that we would experience because of the cross. We tune our hearts because when we're asking those questions, how long is this going to take? We need to come back to Christ in His heart. And we tune our hearts to His because you have a friend who is asking how long. You have a friend who desperately needs you to bring the heart of Christ into their pain whether they tell you or not. And you need to be listening for that. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a very old song and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Father, uh, we've each brought pain as we've gathered today. 
There's some things that we've, some of us have carried for a very long time. There are other things that are new and, and very fresh. Father, each of us have reached one of those moments where we're just saying, how long? How long does this take? How long till I'm over it? How long till I'm through it? How long till it's behind me? And Lord, there are no easy answers. But we tune our hearts to hear You. To hear Your grace. To know Your presence even in the middle of the pain. We tune our hearts to You to know that even while we're hurting, we can have that confidence that David expresses for us that You have heard our prayers, that You have heard our plea, that You are very present. I pray we know that, Lord. I pray we know that not just for ourselves, but for those around us who are hurting, who desperately need us to bring Jesus' heart to them. As we partake today, we take a the bread which represents His body broken, the cup that represents His blood shed. And Father, we hear His heart. We tune our hearts to His. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.